Hello, Reach Athena listeners. Thank you for joining us here on our podcast. Recently, several members of the Reach Athena team attended the 2021 Airlift Tanker Association Conference in Orlando, Florida. This presented a unique opportunity to sit down with senior leaders and discuss the driving force behind Reach Athena, identifying where diversity, equity, and inclusion can increase force readiness, which is a fundamental component of our national security. Despite their different backgrounds and unique experiences, these senior leaders offered insights with three major themes, be your authentic self, take time to actively listen to airmen's stories, and be prepared to find a yes when you encounter a no. Together, they share decades of experience and they paint a picture of progress where our diversity is not only a competitive strength, but a force multiplier. The Reach Athena team would like to thank our mobility senior leaders for making this podcast possible. Specifically, Colonel Michelle Lobianco, who's the 305th Operations Group Commander, Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst, New Jersey. Colonel Adrian Williams, serving as the Wing Commander, 521st Air Mobility Operations Wing, Ramstein Air Base, Germany. Brigadier General Darren Cole, who's the Director of Logistics, Engineering, and Force Protection, Headquarters Air Mobility Command. And Colonel Andre McMillan, Mobility mobilization assistant to the director of logistics, engineering, and force protection. So I came in the air force and I was going to pilot training. I went to uh, Brooks center and I was measured and I was 0.02 of an inch too short for standing height. Uh, part of the policy there was then to measure you uh, ergonometrically to see what airframes you fit in. Uh, I went through and I fit into every single airframe in, at the time in the Air Force inventory. However, I was still denied a waiver because of the arbitrary cutoff that you had to be exactly 64 inches. Um, coincidentally, they also measured me at the end of the day. So I wasn't even measured at the right time. The AFI reg says you have to be measure made and measure measured, height measured, and uh, weighed in in the first three hours of your duty day. So of course I was going to shrink ever so slightly. Um, maybe it happened for a reason, uh, and that's okay because I don't think I'd be the officer I am today without having to first go and be a support officer first. And I did that. I went and I became a, a weather officer for a few years, uh, all while still pursuing what I felt to be a very outdated policy. Uh, but there was really no way to get after that back in early 2000s. You know, us speaking up wasn't really something we can do. It was you had one route. You can file for an exception to policy. And that's about it. My exception to policy was denied, but I don't believe in no. I've always believed that the answer is yes, if. Yes, if I keep working, I keep trying, and I will if they measure me correctly, but I had to re-earn uh, going back to pilot training. So I worked really hard for three years, uh, applied, and I was, there was only one board that year. Uh, 50 people got selected. I was the only female on that list to get selected, but I still had to go back to Brooks and get re uh, measured again. They wouldn't let me go before. Um, and my three-star at the time, the eighth air force commander knew that, but he still believed in me enough that he put me forward and said, well, that's just a silly rule. Um, we should just go and do it. But even he didn't have a recourse to change it. I went down and they measured me appropriately at the time in the morning and I was tall enough. But I often think about the women in the 20 years since then that haven't been. And I know now uh, the women's initiative team are out there and they're doing great work. They have changed the policy. 
and you can get a waiver and then you just go and they measure you and hey, here's the aircraft that you can fit in and you go and you can fly. The barrier is real, it still exists today when the average height for women and especially women of color is below the minimum of, that, of those who can go and be a pilot. When we talk about readiness and equity, you can't do it unless you are inclusive of the whole population. You know, 50% of women, uh, well, 50% of the population are, are women, and you're already saying for readiness that you cut them out of some of the most important jobs that there are. And we know that that's not right, and I'm happy to see that we are currently changing, you know, those rules. And I just wish it would have happened 20 years sooner. I think that there are a lot of women that didn't come in and a lot of great potential and leadership that will never be realized because of that policy. But I have hope for the future that those barriers are now coming down and we can reach new things together. My mantra and how I look at what we do, uh, and it's people first and always, dot, 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 the mission's going to take care of itself. Because I truly believe that when you treat our airmen is that they are the most important thing because they are. It's all about the human weapon system, their performance, their care, how they continue to grow, not only professionally, but personally. Then they're gonna have a lot of pride in what they do, and they are going to feel value added to our organization, and they're gonna to connect to the mission. If we can do that, then we're gonna keep them, and then we're not gonna have the same issues with retention and readiness. So it's on all of us to meet our airmen where they are, to address those needs, and to get them the care that they so desperately are looking for, um, and really hear them and listen to their ideas. I appreciate the amount of innovation and what we've done over the last couple of years. If I were to look back at my career and say, what is the thing that's happening right now um, that is really breaking down some of those barriers, I would say that it's the ability for our airmen to be able to come up voice because everything is so flat right now that if they have a concern, they can bring it up and these issues get addressed. Perfect example with the women's initiative team, just things that while most folks don't think about um, do impact our ability uh, to be ready, whether it be you know the height restrictions, um, being able, and right now I have my hair down, which is great because now I don't have migraines all day long. Uh, just the tightness on my head for, for what, for an outdated policy that has nothing to do with my ability to be able to lead my airmen. So yeah, you meet them where they are and you listen to them and they have great ideas. Uh, they are so spectacularly just intelligent and so they have new ideas and new ways that we can make this Air Force better. So let's continue to listen and to implement what they say and what we need to do to be a better force. Because I can't imagine the policies from when I came in over 20 years ago still holding true to be able to meet our airmen where they are today to get us where we need to go tomorrow. You know, when I, when I started, was pre-social media, right? And, and pre a lot of things, like pre-transparency, pre-open, hard discussions, right? Yeah. And it was um, that there were a lot of things not talked about. And, and if you weren't one of the 
the club, especially coming from a C-130 Navigator, you know, you know, look, look like me, smell like me, and we've, we've heard that a lot from our senior leaders that, uh, you know, you really got to prove yourself. And there are many times throughout my career um, that I really have to prove myself that, yeah, I'm worthy. I may not look like you or smell like you, mm-hmm. but, but I bring just as much, if not more, Mm-hmm. Um, because of the fact that I don't look like you and I don't smell like you um, mm-hmm. to the table is it, huge and, and I need you to hear me and see me. My career isn't, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't break glass or earth shattering. It's not, it's not any huge difference than, than a lot of folks or, you know, when we look up at a lot of our General Vanovas, so, you know, a lot of our, our female heroes. Um, the first and only. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. The first to do this, the first to do that. No, but, but I, I would say that um, my persistence and in, in my uh, dedication to not um, to be heard mm-hmm. is, is kind of what I feel got me to where I am. The younger generations now, so much has changed and evolved, but you, you see the senior leadership. So General Minahan last night, you see General Brown. They're transparent and they're real and they're vulnerable. And that wasn't the case when I was a young captain or when I was a young lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Um, you had no idea. That the squadron commander, oh, the wing commander was someone you didn't even, you know, a wing commander talked to me as a lieutenant or a captain. And so, um, that it, it is it has really changed that people are willing to be active listen listeners and, mm-hmm. and so for our airmen and and I you know I say it a lot and, and with um, with my chief and front office you know the airmen really matter and what they have to say really matters and we need everybody's opinion to move forward to make a difference and if and, and if we're gonna because we will, we're going to win this, right? Mm-hmm. We got to do it with the, the right attitude. Mm-hmm. Or when I entered the Air Force Academy, it was it was a different world, okay. right? And, and so, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal to hear that, that no matter what, I, you know, you can do it. And you just, sometimes you got to, like, you know, like Michelle said, you got to work a little harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but never, when an opportunity presents itself, never, close that door, don't cross that bridge or, or burn that bridge. You mm-hmm. know, throughout my career, every time there was something uh, new or different or challenging, sure, we, yeah, I'll do it. Yes, yeah. yes, I'll do it. Um, you know, Make my, them tell you no. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. My, my dad, when he commissioned me, um, he just said, take everything the Air Force is gonna give you, every training, every opportunity, every TDY, and make the absolute most of it. Um, so you can be your best self. We all love to serve. There's going to come a day that Air Force says, hey, you know what? We were, we were great before you, right? We're great with you. And, and no hard feelings. We're going to be great without you. Um, and, and the door's going to close. And when you, you, know, you step out and look back and you try to, come on, open door, <laughs> and it and doesn't open, well, you know, you got to know that you've done everything you can and you respect who you are and you've got your toolbox or your flight bag or, you know, whatever, whatever you're, you're collecting all the, everything you've done to move mm-hmm. forward for the next thing, to just continue to make that change. When I came in as a lieutenant, um, they had just opened up combat aircraft to females. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning perspective. Um, and I think things have come a long way. So every, every working group I've ever been a part of, the outcome, the performance of that has always been better if it's been diverse, whether it's in terms of what AFSCs are involved um, or 
what different genders are involved, different races, different ethnicities, uh, sexual preference. It doesn't really matter what. The cross-section of society, the cross-section of the Air Force always has produced a better outcome. If someone feels valued, their productivity just skyrockets. Mm -hmm. It's probably as much as 50% higher. Um, and so I think that that is the biggest key to readiness right there is if everybody feels valued and feels a part of the team and included, they're going to just come to work much more happy. Mm -hmm. um, and they are not worried about, does my uniform fit? What do I look like? I don't have to spend time, mental energy, getting sucked up by other things other than work. When as a commander you have that blessing to go out and you meet people um, and you get to hear their story and you hear a story about someone who has had their productivity unlocked because they feel included, they feel welcomed, they feel like they're a part of the team and they just turn on. You can see the, the sparkle in their eye, you can see how engaged they are and you can feel how, much, how that extra 50% mm -hmm. is brought out in each human uh, in each person and to me that's incredibly motivating it's one of the things that um, it, it motivates me to stay in I think you can kind of tell when somebody doesn't feel valued they're just not so engaged they're not effusive they're not telling you their story mm -hmm. and so that's something for everybody who's in the Air Force who is a leader who's a future leader to watch for and when you, when you sample that, it, they won't tell you often. They won't tell you the good stuff. They won't tell you the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but those are little subtle signs. I came into the Air Force and I, I was like the first military in the family. And so um, I was who I was, but then I thought there was this leadership style that you had to be, uh, kind of probably George S. Patton-like. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, even though you may be taught that you don't have to um, through academics, um, you see what plays out in life and who succeeds. Um, and then when I was a major, I saw a very different style of a leader from a different service, um, and that person did s extremely well. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, huh, I guess you don't have to be that way. And. We, had, we shared a lot of commonalities, and so I was like, well, I'm gonna give me a try. <laughs> the more authentic you are, the more you are yourself, I think that comes across to the people you're trying to lead. And I think that at the subconscious level, humans are looking for authenticity. Hmm. Whether it's conscious or not, they're just looking for authenticity. Because you're always trying to develop trust between leader and follower. and the follower can sense whether you're being authentic or not. Right. So if we can be ourselves, if we can be open and honest, uh, there's just much less to worry about. I have recently heard some leaders, in fact, one of them just spoke today, talked about just being yourself. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. I, I, it helped me. Not everybody is like me, so I hope it helps other people who, who may have had that hesitation about being themselves. A few years ago, I got invited to um, speak at African American uh, event. It was for uh, Black History Month, and uh, to prepare for that, to prepare for that talk, I thought, well, you know, what kind of message would you want to bring? Mm -hmm. And um, I actually um, told a story about the Olympics, 
and if you look at the Olympics, um, if you look at every country that actually comes out of a tunnel, if you look at the, if you look at Germany, they look so German. If you look at uh, Korea, they look so Korean. Um, if you look at Turkey, they look so Turkish. And you see that same um, homogeneous type of uh, look for every country. But when you see America, you see the world. And it stuck with me. And I said, you know what, that's what I'm going to talk about um, at this African-American event. Because I believe that that is the one thing that separates us from any other country. Uh, is the fact that our national security advantage is the fact that we have and embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's our key enabler to readiness. I truly believe, truly do believe that. I think about even my time at the academy and then even my time early on as an officer, I didn't really see a lot of people that looked like me. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess as I grew up, I didn't really worry about it. Because, um, you know, I used to tell people, well, your mentor doesn't really need to look like you. And I truly believe that. You know, you could be mentored by a number of people, and I've been fortunate to have a lot of great female mentors, um, especially as the reservists. We have a significant amount of, of general officers that have really reached out and helped me ever since I was a major. If you can see it, then you can be it. And so I've also learned from mentors that representation also does matter. I'm a first-generation American. Um, my parents were from two other countries, from Panama and Cape Verde. That resonates with some, others not so much. Uh, I tell the story that, um, you know, if it wasn't for two captains that I have to happen to meet at a fast food restaurant, I probably would have never been able to get introduced to the Air Force. I think through those stories and being able to be yourself, you are able to make that connection. I, and, I, and I sense that regardless of rank, um, regardless of experience, regardless of where people are at, they want to be able to listen. And I've learned as a leader to not only listen, but to learn and to lead um, as I've commanded a couple squadrons in groups in, in higher. So that, that certainly has uh, stuck with me to now make sure that you tell your story because people, they want to hear it. We're recruiting people that are interested in who you are. And so that's different, right? So you heard the chief talk about performance reports why do we have to spend 96 characters to be able to fit, tell your story on one line? Okay, I guess that's our process today. But really, if you think about it, there's a lot more to people other than what's printed on printed on paper. So uh, I've learned as a leader to take time to, to listen. And when you do that, um, you know, you're able to connect in ways where people will actually do their very best for you because they know that you care. And so that's... Um, to me, that's a game changer. You know, that's that's what makes us fundamentally different. Because mm-hmm. now you're not so, so much focused on compliance, but you've moved people towards commitment. And they do it because they want to do it. After our presentation at ATA, we opened the floor to a Q&A session. We fielded a variety of thought-provoking questions, and some we were able to follow up on quickly. One question that many airmen echoed was, what resources are available for childcare when the CDCs are waitlisted and no suitable options exist in the area? Here is Chief Master Sergeant Lucy Stockett providing some helpful information that details recent work and potential progress on CDC availability. Hello, Reach Athena listeners. I'm Chief Master Sergeant Lucy Stockett, 
and I'm here to give you some information to help answer some of the childcare questions that came up during ATA. As you may know, at many locations, the demand for childcare exceeds on-base childcare capabilities, resulting in an unmet need. An unmet need as of 1 October 2021 was about 4,387 children, five years and under, whom had not been placed in installation childcare programs on the date care was needed. Average wait time was about 116 days. As of 29 October 2021, fiscal year 22 Defense Appropriations Senate Summary and Milcon Appropriations Senate Summary stated that the committee encourages each of the service secretaries to investigate expanding access to child care for service members during irregular times, such as evenings and weekends. The committee directs the service secretaries to provide a report to the Congressional Defense Committees no later than 90 days after the enactment of this act, which describes methodologies to meet these demands and the approximate cost of expanding these opportunities for military personnel. The committee also recognizes the importance that access to child care plays in improving quality of life for service members and their families. In order to help address the significant capacity shortfall, the bill provides $85 million above the president's request for CDCs as identified on unfunded requirements list submitted to Congress. The committee encourages the services to provide priority funding in future budget requests for child development centers to improve or replace aging facilities and construct new CDCs at underserved installations. Please keep in mind that this is the Senate version of how they believe childcare should be handled, which means it's still not the final bill. After both chambers come to an understanding and the president signs off on a mutual agreement, then we will have a better number of the money increase for childcare for fiscal year 22.